You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hi folks, Sarah here, the founder of Live Feisty Media, the company that produces the podcast you are currently listening to. I just wanted to jump in here and invite you to our latest initiative here at Live Feisty, the Feisty Women's Performance Summit. On March 26th to 28th, we will be serving up a virtual summit like no other, designed specifically for active feisty women or anyone who wants to know how women can get the best out of our bodies throughout our lives. I think we all kind of figured out by now that a lot of sports and nutrition science studies, product and performance research is done on men and are a little confused maybe about what actually applies to us as women. So we collected experts from several arenas, physiology, psychology, nutrition science, and social sciences to get some answers. The Feisty Women's Performance Summit includes 20 educational sessions, plus networking events, group workouts, and an expo full of supportive brands. I seriously hope you can join us on March 26th to 28th, 2021. Tickets are only $149 and all sessions will be recorded and can be viewed up to two weeks after the event. For more information or to sign up, go to womensperformancesummit.com. The link will be in the show notes, of course. That's womensperformancesummit.com. See you there, feisty friends. Hit Play, Not Pause is proud to be sponsored by Noon Hydration in 2021. I have been a huge fan of Noon for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, and I absolutely swear by their Podium series, which include branch chain amino acids that are super important for women during and after menopause. So show your support and head over to noonlife.com. That's noon, N-U-U-N, life, one word. And use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, again, one word, with a capital F and a capital M, for 30%, yes, 30% off of all of Noon's amazing products. Again, noonlife.com, use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, with a capital F and a capital M, and get 30% off of anything you want. Check it out. Hello, strong, feisty women. So who wakes up in the morning and maybe wobbles around a little bit before working out the kinks, if you work out the kinks? Who sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, has tight hips, sleeping glutes, achy knees, a grouchy back, stiff ankles? Yeah, pretty much all of us. Especially at this point in life where our hormones aren't necessarily helping keep our muscles and connective tissues limber and supple, and we continue to train, race, and be active pretty much every day. So I am super excited to bring you this week's guest, Dr. Kelly Starrett of The Ready State, which is a systematic approach for improving mobility, movement, and recovery, and of course, resolving all those aches and pains. Kelly is a coach, a doctor of physical therapy, a two-time New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author, and is the co-founder, along with his wife, Juliet, 
of the Ready State, which is largely regarded as the world's most comprehensive collection of guided movement and mobility instructional videos. His clients include, oh, you know, little things like the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, the MLB. He also works with Olympic gold medalists, Tour de France cyclists, world and national record holding Olympic lifting and power athletes, CrossFit Games medalists, ballet dancers, military personnel, and competitive age division athletes. You get the idea. Kelly knows this stuff. He is also a tremendous friend and ally of Dr. Stacey Sims and the Women Are Not Small Men movement. We have a great conversation about what mobility really means, why it matters, and how women can improve theirs. You can learn more about his work at thereadystate.com. Before we get to the show, this is my little weekly reminder that if you like the show, you'll love our social media channels. You can find our communities of like-minded women at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have a private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel where you can pretty much ask anything that's on your mind. And if you want a deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got the Feisty Menopause membership where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and offer sponsor discounts that you can take advantage of anytime you like. So come on in and check it out. As always, please show your love for the show by sharing on your socials, subscribing on your podcast platforms, and hitting those five stars or hearts or however your platform lets you rate and review the show. It makes a huge, huge difference in growing this show and helping me bring the guests of the very best caliber your way. All right, I have run my mouth enough. Let's get on with the show. But do you know what you are? No. You are the first man on this podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is so <laughs> legit. I... um. I don't, I don't know if you know how much dirt I have on Stacy in order for that to happen, but obviously mm. <laughs> I must have a, a ton. I'm such a fan of the message and talk. Every young person I talk to, I'm like, have you read Roar? Do you know about this website? Do you know about this woman? Are you on the Fitter Woman app? Like every single woman. You know, and what's so fun is uh, even this weekend I was in, um, again, coaching in Tennessee and was talking about with a woman who had had some occult stress fractures, she was a very, very serious competitive athlete, and we were discussing what was going on, and I was able to say straight at her in the look at the eyes, and was like, tell me about your period, you know? That's amazing. And without even flinching and without sort of an awkward conversation, she was like, yeah, I don't get it. And I was like, okay. I was like, now- That's now so we great. That makes me so happy just to hear that. I just got goosebumps. Right? And uh, so yeah. for us to be able to initiate that conversation, That's so great. you all have done so much, uh, you know, as, as, as a man coach, shouldn't, shouldn't matter. But in order to be able to even have that conversation is pretty powerful. It's great. And I'll tell you, I'm now trying to forge, and Stacy too, we're trying to do the same thing for menopause because that has been the silent shame. Yes. And, um, and it, I'm, I'm seeing it happen and it's really exciting. The same thing is going to happen. Like I heard Rebecca Rush on another podcast, you know, she was on mine, second guest talking about her menopause. I'm like, thank you. Like, thanks for going out and just being open. Yeah. Um, and Rebecca's one of our best friends and so aware 
And, um, you know, I don't oh, know. She talked you, about you on that podcast, as a matter of fact. I, I, I don't know if you know women, but everyone, every woman eventually ages into a different, you know, hormonal phase. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like 100%, 50% of the population will have 100% of these experiences that we don't talk about. The photos you put on, um, even on the Instagram, of athletes who are menopausal, who aren't losing muscle mass. I think that those images are very powerful because I think, you know, the, the physiology is so robust that we don't have to assume this because we've always done something some way that we can't optimize that or think about it. And I think it's just, you know, what we think is, oh, I'm just going to get fat and my tissues will fall apart. And I'm like, hang on, you know, <laughs> like there's, but, there's a lot we can do. There's a lot we can do. And, and it's, um, but you can't do the same things. And unless you know what's going on and why it's going on, you're kind of hostage to it. Like, it, it, you know, especially if nobody's talking about it, then you just check out. And that was, you know, where I came into it. I was just like, hold on. Like, AI was competing at a very high level. And then all of a sudden, it, it literally feels like a light switch. And, 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 you know, if men lost all of their testosterone in a period of a couple of years, you would be no, no, no. talking about it. And you know, we, like, and we would have solved it. It would be a national emergency. A hundred percent. And estrogen is like, I didn't know all the things estrogen did. Oh my Lord. You know, like it's really important to know about this stuff and then to act. Yeah. Um, but you, estrogen is still an androgen. <laughs> yes. Still <laughs> catabolic, still does things for you. You really, you can really use it. So, you know, that's, I'm so psyched to have you on here. I'm so psyched that you're part of, you're an ally, you're a friend, and it just means thank you. That means a lot to just not just me, but everybody following in the wake and doing adjacent work because it's important. It's, you know, it's, it's very important. Um, you are the name in mobility, you know, so I, I there's, You've, you've written the book, when I don't have my Olympic plates, I pick up a supple leopard and I swing it around because the thing is so hefty. So we can't cover everything here, but I do want to give the audience, you know, just some nuggets that they can take away and then go and learn more. Because, you know, like just yesterday, I was talking about mobility work on one of the channels and somebody's like, okay, I'm embarrassed. What is mobility work? Yeah, so before be we even start, like, give me the granular, just what is mobility work? And then we'll dive into some of my specifics. So let me first apologize for using the word mobility, which has now become the word like core or extreme. Yes, like, it is. It's funny. You know, it, has, it has. Organic, natural. You've like, you made know, it. <laughs> Sugar-free. I'm the person. So when Juliet and I set out to initiate a conversation Tell about people who Juliet is. Sorry. She's the CEO and three-time okay. world champion I live with. This happens to be my wife. <laughs> so, Excellent. um, you know, Juliet is my business partner. And, um, when we set out to sort of initiate a conversation about being able to perform basic maintenance on yourself, that really falls into sort of two big buckets, really three big buckets, but the buckets that people will really appreciate. One is, how do I manage painful tissues? What's, what's going on? Because, you know, so much of the reason we kind of sometimes stop engaging behaviors that we love, um, we self-medicate with all of the things that we self-medicate with, um, are trying to self-soothe. And what we haven't done is given people a whole bunch of great tools to help them manage and self-soothe. And what ends up happening is that we just don't talk about it. It's a little bit like, 
uh, women's you know periods or, or menopause, we don't talk about pain. It's just like, oh, you should be in pain. It's totally normal. Natural. Aches and right. pains, you're going to hurt. And, right. And it starts early with children. And all the way up to our high athletes really are just you know, super compensators around this, this, this conversation, because we don't, we haven't empowered people to be able to manage that. And what we say is, oh, it's a medical problem. Well, it turns out it can't be a medical problem because no one who has pain is necessarily under the care of a physician or a physical therapist for their pain. They're just continuing to train. And if you just go into your own training communities and ask that question, how many of you are pain-free? You'll be shocked because the 12 year old next to you is like, oh yeah, I have Osgood slaughters or I have Severs disease. And, oh, right, yeah. right. So it starts that early. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is shift this narrative that pain does not mean tissue damage at all. Pain does not mean that you have, you know, a herniated disc or it just means your body is sending you a message about a request for change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Much the same way when people can begin to feel and understand where they are in their cycle, you can take action, right? It's information and how you feel during your cycle is just information. It's not good or bad. It just tells you about a certain set of behaviors that you can engage in to, to have better information and better outcomes, right? Yep. Yep. So one of the things that we've tried to do is say, Hey, look, you know, there's a ton you can do in this pain. And when does my pain mean I need to go get medical help? So that's one of the big conversations, right? So let's, let's establish that for people. One is that if you can no longer occupy your role in your family or society, you can't do your job, you have clear mechanisms of injury, or you obviously have something that rhymes and smells like pathology. It sounds like you're sick, right? Those are the reasons to go talk to your physician. Again, can't do my job, can't occupy my role in the family, can't recreate. Recreate's a part of that. So if you're a runner and you can't run anymore, you are now injured, right? Mm -hmm. I want people to be clear about that. You have pain while running. That is not injury. That's you have pain while running. That means that's a very different thing because you can still run. Right? Gotcha. Gotcha. So okay. that's that that line there, and what we what we realize then is that when we initiate that conversation, there's a whole lot of things we can do to change how the brain is perceiving what's going on and downregulate threat, including improving your sleep, including your hydration, eating more, you know, micronutrients, and having a feeling safe and valued. All of those things matter, but so too does your mechanics. And so too does your available range of motion. So what we then slip into for the second kind of bucket that we're really trying to get out in terms of mobility is we're saying it's not just enough to have the range of motion that you're supposed to have, the native range of motion that everybody is endowed with, right? Every child, every shoulder. And it doesn't matter if you're a swimmer or a cyclist or a CrossFitter, your shoulder is your shoulder. And it's been the same shoulder for 10,000 years. It really hasn't changed at all in 10,000 years. So, you know, what I want people to appreciate is that there are universal principles about how to, what we should be able to expect of our joints and tissues. And what's really interesting is that we haven't, haven't ever given people sort of bookends about this is complete positioning and this is not. This is normative range of motion and this is not. So you could sort of think of it as movement vital signs. What we say is it's good enough. All movement solutions are valuable because you're a human being and you're just a special person. And so he'll strike yourself away. Like enjoy that <laughs> striking, right? And meanwhile, I'm like, well, you don't have any ankle range of motion and your hip extension sucks and your, your, your cadence is 78. So you're really not running very well. You're slamming your heel into the ground like you're jumping off a ladder, you know, 400 steps every mile or every, every uh, 400 meters. So what we've tried to do is reestablish 
sort of a set of tools and which we call mobilization exercises, right? So if you open up the second half of the book, Supple Leopard, Becoming a Supple Leopard, they're all what I call position transfer exercises. They look like banded distractions and mobilizations. And what we're trying to do there is restore native and normative ranges of motion. But that's only half the equation. The other half of the equation of mobility is the software to be able to run that thing. So it turns out we do teach running technique and swimming technique and tennis technique because the underlying the technique is not just the biomotor expression. Can I go faster? Did I hit the ball harder? Whatever. It's am I in the shape that allows for the best physiology? Well, that could be squat technique or jumping and landing or lifting or kettlebells, whatever in sport year it is. Turns out that the techniques we teach allow us to get the best expression out of the human physiology. It's like we've been running a gigantic experiment for hundreds of years about saying, how do we have human beings be more robust and lift more and run more and, and be stronger? And I have to tell you that we've been obsessed with this since the dawn of humans. We, I just read an article about like Chinese stone lifting. I mean, we have been lifting things and competing against other people, running <laughs> and lifting and throwing for as long as there have been humans. Yep, so, that is true. So what's nice then is that suddenly if we take the really understand Pilates or yoga or gymnastics or Olympic lifting, the messaging and the cueing is the same about every position there. And so if you sort of understand the master code to what your range of motion should be and what the principles are for your, these fundamental shapes and movements of the human, suddenly you can really understand how everything is just super iterative that you jump into a yoga class and it's the same techniques that you're using in your Olympic lifting class. You go into a Pilates class and you're like, Oh, I get this. This is the same coach, same cueing and thinking that we're using when I swim. The question then is why can't you do what you're supposed to be able to do? And that really is the heart of why we see so much compensation, right? Mm -hmm. it's, so the language isn't, this is good. This is bad. The language is you can either, access your physiology or you can't but because the brain is such a wonderful problem solving organ you will work around the problem because that was how we were set up for survival so it doesn't matter if you know this is something that one of the coaches i really like his name is franz bosch he's out of holland holland i think and uh he says you know there's more variation in waltzing than there is in sprinting and what we figured out is when we go slow or not under load or speed, there's a lot of variation and a lot of potential movement solutions. You can get away with a lot. Suddenly, when it's heavy or fast or long, you see that you, there is one expression that is the better expression for better output. Now, the key here is that our running is going to look different. Our swimming will look different because the length of my body and the length of my limbs and how wide my pelvis is, but that does not change the underlying fundamental principles about how the hip becomes stable. So the signatures of movement are signatures of your body shape. They're not signatures of technique. Technique is pretty constant. And so what you see is that all of the Olympic swimmers pretty much in the 100 or 50 swim exactly the same way. They look a little different. They might have some different strategies. They might have different principles or, or abilities or genetic underlying. And that's really what we're trying to get back to is reestablish who owns position.
And so the word mobility is shorthand for position. And, and then the expression of that is through exercise or through training. And really what we're talking about is the application of position. But what we haven't done is as we've gotten more sophisticated or at least I'm going to say complex, and I don't necessarily mean that in, in a, a good way, right? We, people are very sophisticated. If you drop into any triathlon community, I mean, they, these our people are really, really savage in terms of understanding their body, yet they may not understand why their pelvis dumps back because they're missing hip flexion on the cycle or why lack of extension in the hip is allowing them to overstride and causing all kinds of weird foot mechanics or inefficiency or that lack of shoulder extension is causing them to swim funny or run with their hands across their body. We haven't done a good job of explaining compensation to people. So where, where does that, a few fundamental questions about that. So when, when does that, when do when does our range of motion, our, our our positioning, all that become established in our life, and mm. what factors go into that? You know, because I can think of when I had I, my daughter was a baby, she was very floppy. You know, like the range of motion was very different. Like when does that establish? And then, like, how does our muscle strength? If you want to talk women, how does the hormone fluctuation? I mean, you see some women more often are a little hypermobile or when the hormones change, you know, it changes the tensile strength of connective tissue. Like what, how do, when do we hit baseline and what establishes baseline? Well, first and foremost, like why don't we all run perfectly? Yes. Well, because running is a skill, right? So if we'll start with okay, that, movement is okay. a skill. And that's why okay. if we just back up for a second and say, well, who taught you to run? Many people are like, I taught myself. I'm like, oh, gotcha. did you? How's that okay. going for you? You know? <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Like you were born into an Olympic family with an Olympic, you know, your mom was an Olympic coach. That's fantastic. You were very lucky. The rest of us sort of struggled to it on our own. So, but what in there is the assumption that I should not have access to my range of motion or that it somehow should change. So your ability to express full range of motion in your joints is actually the one biological imperative or one biological feature that doesn't have to change. Can you imagine the, the if we're like all of a sudden we're getting up and down off the ground and hunting and walking long distances and your ankles just seize up and you're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'll just won't hunt today or I won't walk, <laughs> right, or carry my kids or do what I need to do. That, that doesn't happen. What we see unequivocally is it's a use it or lose it or we see that we're highly shaped by our environment as we grow up. So kids are growing and growing and growing and sitting and sitting and sitting and not loading and playing and, and diversity of movement and richness of, of movement environments. So what ends up happening is the body just adapts to that. It's really a, a wonderful – and if we look actually at Wolf's Law, and Wolf's Law is Julius Wolf, right, in the late 1700s, I believe. And he basically was like, look, bones remodel when they're put under stress, right? Mm -hmm. That's how we know that happens. The bones actually flex, create an electrical charge. And that's what brings in all of the, the good stuff, right? So we unequivocally know that, for example, that if you remember the 1990s where the osteoporosis was a national like, you know, talking point and we gave mm -hmm. women all of the Vivactin calcium chews we could. <laughs> Do you remember that? It was yes. Like, oh my God. It was like Chocolate a, Vivactin. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I do remember it, that. I think it was caramel and uh, it was such a great way to get women to eat chocolate, right? And it turned out it didn't move the ball at all because we still weren't telling people you have to load. And so first and foremost, what you see is this mismatch between environment and organism. Mm 
And what I'm really being clear there is, hey, I'm not pining for the old days. I'm just saying that if you don't ever take your hip beyond 90 degrees, chances, and you do that for months at a time, chances are you won't have that hip flexion very long and you'll have to struggle to maintain it. So suddenly if you put through the lens, if you have that access to the range, then you are in a movement practice that maintains that and exposes you to full range of motion, Pilates, yoga, CrossFit, et cetera, et cetera, then it's a lot easier to keep your eye on that. But most of us are not in a movement practice. Most of us are in an exercise practice. So running is an exercise practice. Swimming mm -hmm. is an exercise practice, right? Mm -hmm. Powerlifting is an exercise practice. And in those situations, what we can't really see is, hey, how come I'm falling below the baseline? So everyone knows good resting heart rate below 60, right? We, now we have respiration rates because of COVID, right? We've got, so many things. right? We know what good blood pressure or normative blood pressure is. So suddenly even heart rate, like, so all of a sudden, if we can be so sophisticated as to know what minimums are in physiology, why don't we have minimums on our movement? And what I'll tell you is, um, muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs. And the question that you, you know, pose is, Hey, should my range of motion change as my body changes? Right. And in, in, in this situation, you're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going through age related changes or, and that means age related changes, my teenagers, right? I mean, that's right, yeah, yeah. change. So just, it's not always at the end of the spectrum. It totally. Can be early totally. The spectrum. Mm -hmm. but, you know, I have a daughter who's now uh, she's 12 years old. She's five, seven and a half. She's going to be the tallest woman in the family at age 12. She's going to be five, 10 and she's growing like a weed. You can actually hear her growing. <laughs> and you know, she, sometimes she shows up. She's like, my Achilles hurt, my knee hurts. And that's because her bones are growing so fast and the soft tissue has to catch up. Right. So apply that same thinking now to what's happening when we train. And what we're seeing is many of us don't warm up. Many of us don't cool down. Many of us don't continue to decongest during the day. Many of us engage in real mid-range behaviors where we're sedentary for the rest of decongest. the day. Decongest. As in like- You mean like blow my nose? Like, <laughs> oh, no. you say, or you could say like, hey, I need you to continue to pump your lymphatic system so yes. that you can decongest, right? You can yes. move, and walking is a decongestion, right? right? So if, if you're not keen on the physiology here, your lymphatic system is your is sort of a secondary circulatory system. It's the sewer yeah. of your body. It's how you how you move <laughs> your it's how you move uh, uh, waste around. Your body makes about three liters of lymphatic fluid a day mm -hmm. as a natural process. So they're proteins, right? It's swelling waste. It's old garbage that's too big to go for your circulatory system, but it's the muscle contraction that drives that. So all that thing, it's a passive system that's bootstrapped into your movement. That's why you've got to move more. And then I'm less ac exercise agnostic. But really what, you, what I want to bring up is that because we don't have a, a – uh, if, we, if we say at the highest levels of sport, um, mechanics are the heart of good strength conditioning and good high performance. Like we're all, yes, we're obsessed with mechanics. I'm like, okay, so how much shoulder range of motion should you have? And if you're a swimmer, that's sort of important. Because if you don't have that, then you can't swim as effective as you can. What we want to people to appreciate, one, is that you can still win world championships and be very fast with incomplete range of motion. And you may never be injured or in pain, but you may not be swimming or exercising to your potential. Your range of motion is a moving, living document. And if you don't believe me, do a marathon. Well, a lot of people who are listening have done this. Jump on an airplane to fly home. And when you get off the airplane, let me know how you feel. 
<laughs> can you do the split? <laughs> want to deadlift heavy? Want to go sprint? You're like, oh no, 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 no. Like my range can of you get your shoes on. <laughs> it's big. So, yeah. so extrapolate back from that. And we do that a thousand times where we're not keeping an eye on minimums. And so all I'm asking is say, Hey, if we just move you up back into towards restoring what every physician, every physical therapist, every chiro, every naturopath says your shoulder should do, mm -hmm. turns out that's a more robust anti-fragile system that can handle more. And the reason I think this would be matter, especially to this population, if we're talking about athletes in their late 40s and 50s, you may not always be have the tissue tolerance that you did when you were younger because you don't have the same hormonal profile. Yes. So let me ex extrapolate this to a male or a, 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 a cis man, a biological kind of perspective. We see that through lots of head trauma, through aging potentially, we see decreases in growth hormone, IGF-1 drops, right? Been concussed a bunch of times, don't sleep, do a lot of drink, super stressed, testosterone is in the crapper. After being a Navy SEAL, after being in the playing in the NFL, you've rattled your into a pituitary. You just don't make the male hormones anymore, right? Those those specific hormones that help you not only put on muscle and maintain bone density, but also are tissue protective, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, which means that I can't necessarily shirk on warming up. That being have an overtension system because the brakes are on because you're stiff is going to come at a higher cost to the tissues that not being able to be in the best positions for my rotator cuff to function and my joint to be the most stable may put undue stress on a tissue and then we that I can normally buffer but somehow something has changed in my physiology and now I can't buffer it and maybe that that begins to make me sensitized so I have pain or I have trauma cuz it's speed and so now we have to say hey look having access to these ranges is really very much protective i can't say you'll be injury proof but if i was going to see you as a therapist the first order of business would be say hey let's see if we can get you back into what you're supposed to be able to do while simultaneously we're trying to look at your sleep and your stress and your nutrition and, and all those things. So that, that dovetails perfectly into what was going to be actually my first question for you is that um, the interesting thing about menopause is that it intersects with midlife, mm. right? So right when you're your most stressed, right. busiest, and the mm -hmm. peak of your badass power, like you yes. are, you have health insurance, you don't have student loan debt. Like, you know, you don't sleep on a futon right now. Yep. It's time It's time to cook. Like, we're ready yeah. to go. I, I've already yeah, yeah. Done, potentially done with my babies right now. I'm getting my body back and my jam back and then slam. Yep. That's pretty much how it goes. Yes. So, so that, that is happening. And, and, you know, this is an athletic population, a very active population. You could have decades of incorrect movement patterns at this point. We're athletic, so we shut down those pain signals or we move through them. So right. we, we, it's all in the background noise. We could have been hurting ourselves a long time without registering it. And now we've got this hormonal havoc and maybe we have increased inflammation because we're perimenopausal. Right. And we feel like, to use your terminology, we're not in the so ready state. So where do you even... Where the hell do you even begin with that? Like, where do you, how do you know what is what and what isn't? Because there's so much, you know, I have this, um, my massage therapist calls it uh, the pinball effect. Like if my left hip hurts, it's because of my right shoulder. You know, like, like it's always something that's tra traveling. Yeah. Bing, 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 bing. Like, where do you even start? 
we are so good at creating just so stories like, you know, and they're, they are real, man. If you have a hangnail in your big toe, then that's going to alter your running mechanics. And then if you happen to throw a ball at the same time, guarantee you that's going to change how you're, how you throw the ball. We know that because that's a case study from one of our friends, Sue Falzoni, who was the first woman athletic trainer for professional major league baseball and first woman there do that. And this was a pit, one of their starting pitchers had a hangnail on his toe and it threw out his shoulder. Right. Cause so again, more variation, more variation in, in waltzing than there is in sprinting at high speed. It matters. So the key here for people, cause it does feel, and, and imagine the chagrin as a physical therapist and a coach when this is the first time we've been able to have this conversation with, with, savage humans who have been really competent their whole lives. And I'm like, Oh, by the way, we should have kept an eye on that range of motion of your hip. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. What? what? Like, why are we just talking about this now? So but we are, I'm 52. What are we doing? That's right. <laughs> like, so where do we start? In those situations, this is why it's important that people appreciate that. You know, I always say like, what's extra on the body? What's extra? There's, there's not a lot of extra features. Like you don't have much hair. Extra, extra meniscus. I'll give you hair. That's, that's <laughs> but hair still serves a purpose a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when women have uh, cesarean sections, right? I always say, well, what part of the balloon is okay to cut? You know what I mean? Right. Like we're so cavalier about some of these things. Right. So the key to understanding in this complex sort of structure physiology, it's so complex the human being is the most complex and sophisticated structure in the known universe. So start there and then add in all our psychoemotional sort of motivators, stakeholders. There's a lot going on. So what we do in that situation is we say, okay, it's really difficult for me to control inputs and outputs ever. I can, some of those are very obvious. If I decrease my sleep, I increase a whole set of cascades that potentially are, are, are law of diminishing returns. Not always, you know, but often, most of the time, I'll go 99% of the time. We can buffer these stresses intermittently. The way that we begin to then untangle this is to start anywhere and start on simple ideas. So, for example, an easy way into being able to just improve your ability to manage stress in the evening, downregulate and prepare yourself for bed, relax, and decrease the session costs from today's training right? Or enhance blood flow to whatever the mechanisms are is to do a little rolling, a little self self massage before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. How simple is that? So 10 minutes. Very simple. Very simple. So if you commit to just pulling, leaving your roller or a ball out next to your television in the evening, um, one of the things that we, you know, because I actually work with women often and my wife is all of the stereotypes you would think of keeps all the calendars in her head, does all the things I don't see, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a decent man partner, right? But I'm not, I'm sure I can be better. But if I give one more thing to my wife and be like, here, put this on your list, she's going to kill me, right? Because she's already juggling a, whole, you know, a thousand balls. But in the evening is a place where we saw where we could not add something to people's must-do list but that, that was a natural break in where they had some agency and control in the last 10 minutes before they went to the bedroom. So what, what we found there was, hey, there's not really any good, nothing really productive is being done there. We're, we're watching TV, we're on Facebook, we're just scrolling, we're trying to downregulate. So what we found is that if we put the soft tissue work in, then people fell asleep better, they stayed asleep longer, and they began to give their brains cues about what comes next. So you drink a little tart cherry juice, 
per our uh, our mutual friend, right? You're starting, yep. to, you're starting to get out of the blue light. You're you're taking a now's the time to do a little soft tissue work. So in that moment, we can begin a conversation that's a little bit agnostic of position, but isn't agnostic around tissue quality. Okay. So what we can be doing there is dealing with intramuscular stiffness. We can address pain sites. We can address areas of soreness or overuse. And what will uh, can establish is some really simple rules. One is anytime you're rolling, I want you to for a maximum effect to be able to take a full breath on the roller. So if you lay on a roller a ball and it takes your breath away, you're going too deep. Okay. So that's very simple, right? Because we say mm -hmm. if you can't breathe in a position, you don't own that position. Mm, so, okay. I like that. so all we're doing is we're putting a little vector load in the middle system. So if you had a string attached mm -hmm. two things and you put a little load in the middle of the string that's a vector load and which is going to create a lot of tension around where that vector load is is put in there so where that's the ball in your quadriceps wherever the ball yes. deforms and so if you perceive that as a noxious stimuli if your brain says that's uncomfortable that's a great place to start and it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with your legs so just for us it means hey here's an opportunity to address tissues that are not at full power that that your brain is perceiving as threat when they are under tension. So what I'm saying is that normal tissues sh shouldn't be uncomfortable when you compress them. I was just going to ask that. Okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that's a really nice, easy way for me to, to assess when something is, is healthier or less healthy on the spectrum, right? I, mm -hmm. I can push on your quads, you might vomit, and then slay me tomorrow's workout, right, and, and 5K, but that's neither here or there. I'm talking about you and your potential. So – what we can then do then is now we have this, we sort of have two rules. One is that none of your tissue should feel like beef jerky. So if you roll on something that feels like beef jerky, there's no beef jerky in the body, right? It should be all like layers of warm silk sliding over steel springs. That's really what we're talking about. And I at, you know, 106 kilos should be able to walk up and down on your quads without any problem. And so if I can't do that, you should be thinking to yourself, hmm, what's going on here? So the bar is very low here in terms of sort of, how sensitized and how our brain perceives this tension and ultimately affects our mechanics, affects our ability to rate of force production, affects like uh, how hydrated these tissues are, any, all of those things. So one of the nice things then is that if I engage with, say I have 10 minutes, that could be five minutes on my left quad and five minutes on my right quad. That's all I need to do to get started. Just give me 10 minutes a day. And what you'll see is you'll be shocked at how sort of sensitized and stiff your whole body is. But your brain is okay with that stiffness, but that, that is still costing you mechanical efficiency. And more importantly, if you have knee pain and I push on your quadriceps, it's very strange. And I, this may be the first time you've heard this, but your quads are attached directly to your knee. I know. And what we like to say is where the rats get in is not where they chew. And so <laughs> – if you have simple myofascial dysfunction, remember, pain doesn't mean injury. Pain is your brain saying, hey, pay attention here, right? Yeah. So if your kneecap is hurt, sore, and you go upstream on your quads and you discover that your quads are hurting, are, are sensitive or painful or sort of compression, you found a component to that dysfunction. Yes. So this is really a radical idea because what I'm saying is, hey, What's going on in the tissues directly above your pain site and what's going on in your tissues below the pain site? Notice I haven't even talked about the site. I'm like, that is a red herring, right? And what we want people to appreciate is what Ida Rolf, the, the founding of Rolfer said was, 
where, where you think it is, it ain't. Which means the body is such a complex structure that you know you can be sending referral signals or altering mechanics or changing, or it could be changes in the tensionality of the system. It doesn't matter what the potential mechanism is. The idea though for us is, hey, I push on my quads, they hurt. That's an incomplete system or a system I can improve. And I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it for this much. I don't ever nail my running technique. I'm never fit enough. Well, what you're gonna realize is that this is an ongoing conversation with your body. And tomorrow we'll work on your calves. And the next day we'll work on your hamstrings. So one of the things that we try to do to make this more effective though, is we try to integrate a couple other concepts. One is we love isometrics. We're such fans of isometrics, which means tension without movement, right? Creating stiffness. So if you do it a squat and pause, that's an isometric. If you're, if you put a kettlebell on your quad and you're sitting there and you flex your muscle under the kettlebell, that's an isometric. Why do you like that so much? Well, what the isometrics do is they give me a chance to tell my brain it's okay to generate force here. It resets my signal. It helps my brain perceive the tissues as safe and is a powerful desensitizer of painful tissues. So what we do then is not only do we like isometrics, which is just a contract, relax, what muscle am I contract? Contract into the ball. doesn't matter. Where's the ball? Contract into the ball. So it's super simple. But the second piece here is that we're big fans of integrating our breath work here. So what we know is I can kind of between that isometric and some breath, some really complicated breath work, and I'll, I'll tell you how complicated it is in a second that everyone can do it. There are a lot of very sophisticated mechanisms going on with how your brain is perceiving threat how longer exhales, tap into your parasympathetic nervous system, yep. mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So here's what we do. You find a painful spot. You're like, oh, I can't take a full breath there. Right. You're going to take a four-second inhale. So I need you to get four seconds to get to the biggest breath you can. Mm -hmm. That was a two-second inhale. Good job. <laughs> then you're going to contract for four seconds. So you're going to hold okay. and build an isometric thing. Am I holding my breath? While you're holding your breath. So big inhale okay. in, you contract, and you're stiff for four seconds. And then here's the magic. For eight seconds, you're going to relax and breathe all the way out. So we make that exhale really long. And all we do is repeat that cycle on that painful spot or sore spot or sensitive spot. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens? Your brain's like, that's mm, fine. Let's move mm -hmm. on. So this is a really powerful tool to suddenly integrate down regulation, breath practice, isometrics, so that my brain knows what's going on. If there's our active neuromuscular mobilizations, and then I just keep rolling side to side. I don't go up and down the muscle. I roll side to side because I'm really interested in how that muscle and tissue system is interacting with the other muscles and tissue systems. Right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's more interesting to me. So suddenly if I'm laying on my stomach working on my quads, I just roll from one side of my leg to the other side. And then I work it up just like I'm eating an ear of corn and just nibbling the little kernels off. And I just systematically work my way up like an old typewriter. And when I find an ugly spot, take a four-second inhale. I build a muscle for four seconds and I relax for eight seconds and I repeat that cycle until my brain says, oh, it's no problem. And what you'll see then is you start to feel sleepy. You'll start to feel relaxed. Your leg starts to feel better. It starts to feel warm because there's tons of blood flow coming back in there. And lo and behold, your knee maybe even stops hurting. And that is the entree into a greater conversation about position because that is an incomplete mobility practice because there are lots of things that may affect your ability to express position and change, breath, connective tissue, joint capsule, muscle. But this is the way into a body. 
And if you don't think you can roll your obliques and abdominals, you're wrong. If you don't think you roll your back or glutes, you're wrong. If you can't think you can't work on your pelvic floor, you're wrong. These are the same techniques we use for very complex problems. It just turns out that once we teach people with the calf, then when people have pelvic floor dysfunctions, I'm like, hey, let's get on a little bit softer ball and let's something mushy and let's work on some contract relax in that pelvic floor. So suddenly everyone's like, well, I understand this. I already have the tools. I know how to apply this whether it's for position or downregulation, or I'm trying to do threat reduction or improve your shape, same sets of tools. It's so fascinating. And, and so I, I did a, um, a conference with a guy. I was actually going to write a book with him and it never worked out, but he, his whole thing was about a lot of what you're talking about, how pain is a, is ultimately always a product of the brain, right? And you talked about this earlier and, you know, you, you, well, can you let me stop you because you talked about it earlier, because if I'm running in the middle of a race, do I feel pain? No, I don't. That usually tells me that's not a very serious problem. If you can override right. it with a little bit of right, 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 and, right. And go, yeah. go juice, right? That's the yeah. issue. Yeah, but I mean, you can see, like, I you can look at like slides of people who have literally bone on bone. They look like they should not be moving, and they don't have pain. And other people, right. like, they go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, hey, "You're okay," and they have pain. Like, there's a lot that's going right. on there. And I really appreciate you saying that. And that's one of the things that we want people to appreciate is that. The body's actually designed to be 100 years old, probably 110 years old, really. Um, I don't remember who said it, but you know, one of my friends was like, hey, look, you'll outlive your gonads, but you won't outlive your knees and back. <laughs> like you're, these, right. these joints are designed to be ridden hard and put away wet for 100 years. So degenerative changes and normal aging-related changes happen. And so, for example, the research is very clear that by the time you hit 80 or 90, you probably have some herniated discs and degenerative disc disease. And I don't even show we call it, we'll call it aging discs. Your spine looks like a 90-year-old athlete. But it turns out when we consistently put you into the best positions and we eat enough protein and we hydrate and we're not super stressed, that clinical picture looks a little bit different. It's a little bit less age on like age patinaed, right? A little, little less vintage spine, a little bit more like, hey, this is retro. And what I want people to appreciate is absolutely that we think pain is the lowest bar possible. If you're just making your decisions based on if you have pain, then you really are just an animal and you're just waiting around till you have a noxious stimulus and then you withdraw, right? Like, and, and I'm like, that's my dog. <laughs> like, I'm not going over there. And instead of waiting around till something hurts, because to your point, we see people generate freakish amounts of force on really, really dodgy tissues and they don't have any pain. So what's going on there? Well, what's going on there is that the body is actually very robust. And in those situations, we just want to appreciate that if you feel loved and are constantly loaded and do all the things that we talk about for human performance, you'll be more durable and your brain will be less twitchy. But what we know unequivocally is that if you, you know, are stressed and not sleeping, your brain is going to start to interpret what's going on with your body as a different set of circumstances than a person who's well rested and well loved. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Little bit of a, a pivot here because when people, you know, you've been talking about the the rolling and and the breathing, and I know that there are people out there still when they hear mobility, and I want to make sure we touch on this. They think stretching, and I, I mm. very much want you to. I don't really talk about stretching too much because I have written so many features and the research is crap. <laughs> and it's just like, as far as injury prevent, all this stuff. Um, 
Well, why is it so persistent? Like, why do we keep throwing our leg up on a thing and bending into it and trying to like, what is. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons we chose the word mobility a million years ago was that it was explicitly to leave the word stretching and all the associated baggage that went with it. Right. So I like to say, I maybe have never stretched anyone in my whole life. Like I'm just not into, you right. Like stretching definitely sort of explains the qualities of a rubber hose, right? Like I want you to be stretchy, like a rubber band, but what we, what we have done when we said stretch and, and we'll start by this. I believe firmly that athletes are smart enough. Humans are smart enough to do what works and to abandon what doesn't work. So a lot of people are like, oh, it's a placebo in effect. I'm like, oh, so you're basically saying that people are too dumb to know if they feel better or not, right? And, and if they can repeat it and it continues to happen, then there's some interesting phenomenon there. So all I'm interested in is does it make you better at your sport? Does it make you better at your positions and shapes? So the problem with stretching was it wasn't ever tied to a biomotor output right? It wasn't tied to restoration of position. You know, you should stretch. I don't even know what that means. I go to yoga class, right? I do some stretching, whatever. I feel tension in my muscles. Am I stretching? And what we saw was athletes didn't do it because they didn't get faster. It didn't take away their pain. It wasn't a good use of their time. There were no bookends. And it didn't prevent injury. Well, definitely. But maybe we shouldn't be preventing injury with stretching. We should be restoring position with mobilization. And you can see that there's such a disconnect there. I just continue to stretch until I can take my leg and wrap it around my body 17 times. <laughs> like that's like, what's the end goal mm-hmm. of these positions. And so what's so nice about where we're going in these, with this modern sort of strength conditioning practice, movement practice is that you know, Juliet and I have taught on almost every continent and everyone knows what a push up is. Well, a push up is the body's way of expressing shoulder extension, the same shoulder extension in running. And so what's nice is that we actually have a definitive movement language built in. It's called squatting and pull-ups and push-ups and lunge. Everyone speaks that language universally. It doesn't matter what country you go, what sport you go, everyone has that training language. So when we repurpose that training language into, hey, I'm trying to change some aspect of my position mechanics, and then I do a mobilization and I can retest, Human beings are clever. I did that. I felt better. I moved better and I ran faster. I'll do it again. And I think that's really where I want people to go is that if you give something to someone and it makes them better, you don't have to sell it. It's not a program. That person is greedy enough and egocentric enough to be like, I'm doing that again because I smoke these people on my run. And that's where I want to make sure that we're clear. What we can say is if I have a more durable system, a more durable physiology, that's the physiology that allows me to express better shapes and positions under load and tension and speed. And that's a more durable system. Excellent. So we talked about um, the, the mobility practice at 10 minutes, you know, working on, on the things. What, let's branch out just a little bit from there. Like a, if you, if people were just going to have a couple of those mobility tools, what would you tell them to have on hand? And then, what else should they think about when they're ta- when they're thinking about a mobility practice? Mm. So first of all, I would say um, the very minimum you need is some kind of ball, like a, a lacrosse ball, mm-hmm. a cricket ball, a baseball, maybe something bigger, maybe something softer, maybe something harder, right? And then some kind of device that allow you to roll, which could be two two balls taped together. Right. Right. It could be a it could be a wine bottle. I hear you Let's invented that. Well, we all have wine bottles. But did you did you <laughs> did you invent the the taping of the, the peanut? 
Is that you? No. Oh. That, that I, I thought it was. Old, I, I passed that along to everybody I know. Two lacrosse <laughs> balls taped together. Oh, I'm the lacrosse okay. ball person. So if you've ever laid on a lacrosse ball, it was one of my patients who came to me and said, hey, because I was giving out rubber band balls. He's like, have you seen these lacrosse balls? And I was like, yeah, perfect. They're like a buck a piece and, and we can give them away. And, and it was really about changing behavior. And is the lacrosse ball too big and too small? Yes. Is it too soft and too hard? All of it. It's not perfect, right. but it's a such a, we're trying to democratize and make available these tools without having to spend tons of money, right? right? You can definitely go up to the Bugatti of, of tools, knock yourself out, right? And you can even jump into Normatech boots and all those things. But ultimately what I want people, you know, I'm a huge fan of percussion because if you can self-soothe, you can make yourself feel better and you can move better. I'm so in, you like right? the Theraguns? That's, I am a huge hypervolt. I work with hyper ice. Okay. I think again, not required to be an elite athlete, but sure is nice to sit on the couch and, and use some percussion on yourself. Like that's a simple, Oh, I'm feeling stiff and I don't feel very woken up or something's aching before I run. I can hit myself for five minutes and then go run pain free. Whoo. Remember I'm doing these things, all of these things, so I can be a more effective mover. That is the only thing that my brain cares about. The reason you have a nervous system is that so you can move through the environment. It is a chief movement behavior. If your thoughts are like your cognitive behavior, well, your movement is, is, is your physical movement thought behavior. So what we're seeing then is, man, if you have those two things, a roller of some kind and a ball of some kind, you can really begin to have a very nuanced and very sophisticated conversation with yourself. So that's the place to start. And, and what you'll see is, man, if I can get you, let's say, 60% of the way there or 70% of the way with some simple myofascial release and some breathing and blood flow and I can dress with stiff tissues – then improving any system by 50% or 20% is a radical change in the system, especially since the system is so complex. So that's the place. Then we can start to add bands. We can start to add more sophisticated tools, right? We can be a little bit more nuanced and technical as we learn. But there are some things that you can do that will radically change your tissue health. One, sleep is non-negotiable. And this is difficult, especially when you're perimenopausal, menopausal. I get that. So we have to just control what we can control and we don't self-medicate with wine because it wrecks our sleep. And we're trying to be very much more clear about THC because it can potentially wreck your sleep. Right? So all of the things that we're, we've told people to reach for potentially make us less worse sleep. Right? But we, we, we've got to do that. So sleep aside, control what you can control. Second is that you absolutely need to walk more. Mm -hmm. And I know what you're thinking. I'm a runner. I'm an athlete. I don't need to walk. I just ran. I'm like, yeah, now you need to de right. you decongest and restore. So I'm a huge fan, especially if you're in pain, of controlling sleep and controlling walking. So if you are have some occult movement problem that you can't wrap your head around, one of the ways that we can make the body more resilient and the brain less sensitive is to sleep more and walk more. Then, here it is, total radical thought here. I want you to sit on the ground a little bit more. Wow. And I want you to watch TV while you're sitting on the ground. I want you to have to get up and down off the ground. It's an easy way of putting in a ton more movement variety. If I looked at your sporting events and all of your training, and I was like, what's the one thing you do the most of? You'd be like, I'm a runner. I'm like, okay, you're a runner. So let's expand that a little further. Like look at all of your movement behaviors. I'm like, oh, you're a sitter. That's what you do for a living. You sit. <laughs> and like Pretty much. you spend more time sitting. You spend more time sitting than you do um, doing anything uh, really. Sleeping. Yeah. Than sleeping. So 
what isn't it weird that you've got your body's gotten so good at sitting right and you're like you have like you're a world-class sitter so why should you be surprised when your world-class sitters hips get stiff or you don't have access or your tissues are congested or right so that's what i want people to appreciate and all i'm asking for is if you actually sit on the ground and sit in as many different ways every time your body says twitch and fidget and move do it so sit side saddle kneel sit cross-legged squat but if you just started incorporating a little bit more, what you would see is that you're opening up your movement language, you're exposing some of your tissues to some of these end range practices, and you don't have to do another thing. Again, if you're on the ground doing yoga and getting up and down off the ground, it's not an accident that like, look at how many times you get up and down off the ground in sun salutation, right? Your body's like, all right, this is what we got to do to get ready to move today. Let's do a little breathing. Let's touch these positions. Let's get up and down off the ground. I mean, the yogis figured this out a long time ago. Yeah. No, that's excellent. That's excellent advice. We talked a little bit about oh, the warm-up and cool-down, and I, and I want to I go a little bit more into that. What, mm. what do you think a warm-up for anything should look like? You know, whether I'm going to ride my bike or lift some, yeah. you know, do some deadlifts. Like, what, what is a proper warm-up? Should I be bounding? So should I be like – You should spend three hours warming up for your one-hour ride, and then you should just tell your children and your partners that <laughs> – Sorry, I've got to – We'll be out in yeah. the garage, right? I've got to warm up and cool down. So what we want to appreciate is that many of us have a really discreet window to exercise. Yes. And I want to give full homage and full sort of um, – I want to admit that Julian and I exercise, and because we exercise, we're not addicted to hard drugs. Like this is how we cope. Oh, yeah. Stress, no, no. You and right? we're, I'm part of that club. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like Julian. This is what we do, right? We, this is how we love each other. Mm -hmm. This is why my wife and I are training partners. We're all about this. But what I would say is one of the things I want to do is not have you have to waste a whole lot of time feeling connected and being integrated. If you have an hour, how are we gonna get the most out of that hour? So one of the things that we find is that if we can get people moving a little bit more in the morning, before your kids get up, before your day starts, if you go to the Ready State blog, I have an article there called My Morning Routine. Oh. And I have this little thing called the hip spin up, and it's a free blog, you can see all our stuff there. Okay, I'll put that in the show and notes for everyone. What I want you to appreciate is that, man, if you spent eight to 10 minutes just doing a little hip flow. When it's time to go run later on, you're already prepped. Gotcha. Your range of motion is there. So what you can do for that first 10 minutes is bounding, skipping, hopping, technique drills, running, tempo, right? Whatever you need to do to reclaim your body into that movement space. What I want people to appreciate is that when you show up the next day for the next day's training, you're a different human. And what we're trying to do is get you to know yourself in today before you start training because you're sore, you've, you've gotten older, right? You've, your volume is high, there's stressors on your life, you're moving slightly differently, you just took a red eye, whatever it is. The idea here is in those first few minutes, it's about should be about skill acquisition and skill reacquisition. So I'm working on my technique or if I'm a cyclist, I'm just, I've already opened up my hips in the morning. So it's super easy for me to get on my bike and just start doing some breathing during my first five minutes right. or do breath holds or CO2 tolerances. So there's so much density in our training already and so much opportunity. But what I should not be doing my warm up necessarily is trying to restore 100% of my lacking positions, right? That's just like, I'll do my homework right before class. Like, oh yeah. And how did that go for you? So 
what we want to do ultimately then is say, okay, I had this training experience, which is really a diagnostic tool simultaneously. Yes. Tells me what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then in the evening, I could be like, oh, my calves were really stiff today during my run. I wonder what that's about, right? right? So now maybe I can work on my calves. And so now my tissue practice is conjoined with my physical practice, right? And maybe I drop in, I come in after the run and I've got five minutes and I do one more specific mobilization drill or position restoration drill. But then what we're really trying to do is make your, your exercising, your training succinct. And it doesn't have to have a ton of, you know, futzing around. Look, yes. Does everyone agree that you should get your heart rate up a little bit slowly and that you should break a sweat before? Yes. Yes. Okay. So why am I still having this conversation? <laughs> Lacing up your sneakers and sprinting out the door. Um, if my runners out there, if you listen to this, if you just walked briskly walk. 800, 800 meters, I'm talking about as walk as fast as you can right. for 800 meters, Half mile walk. And I'm not talking about like, oh, we're going to talk. I'm talking about like you walk like with purpose, right? Like you're going to get cr crushed by a bus in the street, that kind of walk. Like you're being chased by a wild dog's walk. You'll see that you'll be much more prepared when you take that first step than if you didn't. And that is an old coaching trick by one of the greatest women coaches of all time from UCLA. I think it's Pat Carroll. She would make all her athletes warm up with a really brisk 800 meter walk. And their butts would be sore and they'd be out of breath and they'd be hot and sweaty because it takes a minute to walk 800 meters, right? And so what's really nice there is if you just begin to sort of set up these basics, because what we're trying to do is get the engine ready to go. The second thing that I think I'm a huge fan of is, man, if you ever got up out of the airplane, right, or out of a long business meeting, and you're like, let's go run. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no one does that. So if you can shift your workstation to a little bit more dynamic workstation so that you, ha you have a, a place to put your, your laptop, your, your counter, your, your, and you're fidgeting around and you're opening your hip up on the bar stool, then it's a lot easier to get that system primed because the diesel is already idling. You don't have to cold start it and bring in the, sh the jumper cables. And so there, so look what I've said is, Hey, right in the morning, you've got five or 10 minutes before everyone gets going, before your day gets away from you. Because once the day gets going, once our kids are up, Jill and I are we're answering emails and we're gone. Like it's, it's toast. So if I can get a little bit of movement first, I get a little bit more motion in the day. I walk more. I'm maybe at a standing station, a place to put my foot. I'm woggling around, right? I do a little bit more focused physiology warm up before my thing. All of a sudden, you're going to be like, well, I had a great workout. And then in the evening, I did a 10 minutes or 15 minutes of soft tissue work and positional restoration, sat on the ground. Man, rinse, wash, repeat. You're going to be 110 years old and slaying people when you're 110 years old, which is really the game. It's not about, look, I don't want anyone to walk around and be like, I should do this because I might get injured. That, we can't A, prove that and B, that don't smoke today because you'll get cancer in 100 years. You're like, you know, you're going to light up, right? This didn't change behavior. But if I give you something that makes you, the thing you care about the most better, then I'll automatically do it. And so we really are caring about position mechanics. And suddenly, this becomes a really sustainable process around making yourself feel better and having a tool. And some days, you're going you're gonna to crap the bed. You're going to be terrible at it. But you don't, don't worry. Tomorrow, you'll get better at it. And, and, and then if you do that more often than not, say, what can I control? Where can I control it? Then all of a sudden, you know, if, if that was only four days a week, man, that's better than, again, I'll take a 20% bump in your physiology and a 20% bump. But what we end up seeing is that these become habits and practices and they make us feel better. And it's not a should to do, it's I choose to do this because I feel better. And that is the game.
Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash menopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash menopause. I can tell you it works. All right, that's our show. Join me next week for a very important episode on heart health with Dr. Tamana Singh. Dr. Singh specializes in cardiac care for athletic women, which, well, might not surprise anybody who's listening to this show, is actually different than heart health for athletic men. So tune in next time. You won't want to miss it. And until next week, as always, stay feisty, my friends. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.